It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. At a certain point during the Old Covenant, the hub of all spiritual activity in Israel was the Temple of Solomon. Three times a year during the Feasts of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, the children of Israel traveled to the Temple in Jerusalem to worship God and to receive His blessing. There was no building like the temple, overlaid with gold, decorated with jewels, adorned with images of cherubim, and housing the Shekinah glory of God. This celebrated structure, however, was not God's perfect purpose, nor was it his permanent plan, because it was eventually destroyed. In fact, you can go back in time and see that every dwelling place God ever used Eventually, he forsook. He dwelt in a burning bush, but he forsook it. He dwelt in the tabernacle of Moses, but eventually he forsook it. He dwelt in the tabernacle of David, but eventually he forsook it. Then he moved by his glory into the temple of Solomon, but there was a certain point where it was destroyed and God forsook it. But then when he came into the hearts of those who are born again, he said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Because see, it was all about dwelling in people to begin with. The rest of it was just a foreshadowing. Because God was never satisfied in a bush or a mountain or a building or a tent. Because A building can't love him back. A tent cannot reflect his character, but you can. And so you were the ultimate goal God had all along in seeking for a dwelling place in this world. Now, being the temple of God is both a corporate inheritance for the entire body of Christ, because All of God's people comprised together make up a holy temple in the Lord, and we are all lively stones or living stones in that temple. But on an individual basis, we are also filling this role of being a temple of God. And there are scriptures that relate to both levels of this inheritance. This analogy is multifaceted, and it's very, very rich. In Isaiah 45, verse 15, the scripture says, Truly, you are a God who hides yourself, O God of Israel. And one of the ways that God hides himself is in symbols and metaphors, analogies and parables. And the whole building of the temple and the way the temple was occupied by God's Shekinah glory It was all symbolic and analogous and metaphorical and poetical concerning what was yet to come. It was prophetical in every detail. See, things that normally are overlooked contain prophetic information. For instance, the Temple of Solomon in the Old Testament was built on Mount Moriah. 
And Mount Moriah was the place where Abraham offered up his son Isaac. And at the last moment, when it was almost too late, God intervened and Abraham saw the ram caught in the thorns in the thicket. And he substituted that ram for his son Isaac. Just like Jesus on the cross became our substitute in death and the whole temple that has been built worldwide since the crucifixion of the Son of God has been built on the basis, on the foundation of Mount Golgotha, on the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus. Just like the Temple of Solomon was built on Mount Moriah, where there was a substitute in death. It was all a picture, a prophetic picture of what was yet to come. Also, the temple is referred to as the holy temple in Psalm 5, verse 7, because God's temple must be holy. The Bible calls him the Holy Father. The Spirit of God is called the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is called the Holy Word of God. Jesus was that holy child that was born in Bethlehem. Everything about God is holy. And when we were born again, the Bible said that new creation part of us, the hidden man of the heart, the new man inside of us is created in righteousness and true holiness. Because true holiness is not just the product of human effort, but true holiness is an impartation of a sanctified status from God himself. I think it's very significant to see that the temple had three chambers. First, there was the outer court where the altar of sacrifice and the labor were located. And then inside the building, there was the holy place. First, where the menorah lampstands, the tables of showbread, and the altar of incense were located. Then beyond the veil in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant and the cherubim on either side of the Ark. All of these things are significant because every single one of them contain, again, a metaphorical, prophetical insight into what we are as the temple of God. Because there's three parts to us, just like there was an outer court, a holy place, and a holy of holies in the temple of old. There's an outer court, a holy place, and a holy of holies in every blood-washed, born-again child of God. The outer court is our flesh. The holy place is our soul. And the holy of holies is our regenerated spirit. Now, it's very important to see that the furniture that was in the Temple of Solomon was all prophetic of the functioning of what God is doing in the three chambers of a human being who is saved. For instance, in the outer court, the first article of furniture you came to was the altar of sacrifice, where there was a continual sacrifice being offered up to God for the stream of worshipers that came to the temple. There was a daily offering in order to make atonement for sin. And so the first thing that we should do in our approach to God, and the first thing necessary for us to be reconciled to God, is for you and I to become a living sacrifice, 
for our lives to be placed on an altar. The Bible said, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then the next thing in the outer court was the laver. It was a container of water. And that was where the priests were constantly washing themselves in order to be clean as they served God in that sacred area. Well, what does that relate to? Well, the scripture talks about how the bride of Christ, the church, is cleansed by the washing of water by the word. Just like we first present ourselves a living sacrifice to God, then next, on a daily basis, we are cleansing ourselves from the influence of the flesh and the influence of the world by being washed in the word of God. In fact, that's what's happening right now as you listen to this podcast. You're being washed in the revelation of the Word of God. And then when the priest entered into the holy place, and listen, only a priest could enter into the holy place, and only believers who have the mindset of being priests can function on a deeper level in their lives. There's a lot of carnal Christians that spend all their life just going back to the altar, just going back to the altar, getting back right with God, backsliding, coming back to God, backsliding, coming back to God. They live in the outer court, and they're constantly trying to become clean. But there are those who make that commitment, and it sticks, and they're solid in their consecration to God. Well, they go beyond the outer court into the holy place. And that's where their lives are more consecrated, more dedicated to the purposes of God. Now, I can't go into the great detail that I'd like to go into on this podcast, but I will touch on it. And you can make it a personal study where you probe deeper into the symbolism. But in the holy place, you've got to have a priest mindset, because like I said, only the priests could go into the holy place. And a priest is simply one who draws near to God, is one who has access into the presence of God, and we should live in the presence of God on a daily basis. There were three articles of furniture in the holy place. First of all was the table of showbread, where there were 12 loaves of bread laid before God on a weekly basis. Every week there had to be fresh bread. And in like manner, if you and I are going to live in the holy place, we've got to live in the fresh revelation of the word of God. It was bread made without leaven. Leaven is a symbol of sin. The Bible talks about the leaven of Herod, which is religious hypocrisy. He claimed to be one of the offspring of Abraham, and yet he was very corrupt killing family members in order to maintain his position of authority. He may have built the temple to its greatest uh, size. He may have restored the temple of Solomon to its greatest size and magnificence, but all that was in vain because his heart was contaminated with sin and rebellion against God. And so we need to rid ourselves of the leaven of hypocrisy. Also, Jesus talked about the leaven of Pharisees, which is religious externalism being hung up in outer rituals and ecclesiastical clothing that 
kind of leaven contaminates the church. And, and then he talked about the leaven of the Sadducees. And they were the intellectuals in Israel that denied the existence of angels or the resurrection. They kind of pushed aside anything that was supernatural in nature because they felt that was unreceivable or unbelievable. And the leaven of the Sadducees is what has corrupted many of our Bible colleges, where they push aside the supernatural. They don't believe in the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. They say it all ended with the apostles, cessationism. Well, the leaven of Herod, the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Sadducees, and then there's also just the leaven of sin. Paul wrote the Corinthian church and rebuked them because they were allowing the sin of incest to go on in their midst without reproving and rebuking the person involved. And he said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So the leaven of sin, the leaven of lust can corrupt a person. That bread offered on the table of showbread was unleavened bread. So God wants us to live an unleavened life a life free from the contamination of all these things that leaven represents. Then on the opposite side of the Holy of Holies was the menorah. Now in the temple, you had 10 menorahs and 10 tables of showbread, where in the tabernacle, there was only one of each. But the menorah lampstand represents becoming the light of the world. There's beautiful symbolism in the menorah. It had seven stems, and each one of those at the top was filled with oil. And then, of course, it was trimmed daily, and the light was the only light that lit up the holy place. There were no windows. There was no sunlight from the outside that came into the holy place. It was only lit up with that light that was on the menorah lampstands. And, curiously prophetically, it's important to see that the light on the lampstands originally came from the altar and the fire on the altar originally came from heaven at the dedication of the temple of Solomon. The fire of God fell from heaven, devoured the sacrifice. The priests were told never to let that fire go out, and they used that fire to light the menorah lampstands. So the priests that ministered in the holy place were constantly being bathed in the light of heaven. And isn't that indicative of the fact that we should be enlightened by the word of God? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The living word and the written word should enlighten us and we should become a light to others because Jesus said you are the light of the world. The third piece of furniture in the temple was the altar of incense. And incense is a symbol of prayer. David said, let my prayer be like incense and the lifting up of my hands like the evening sacrifice. Why would incense represent prayer? Because the smoke of the incense going upward represents the burning, fervent, intercessory prayers of God's people that are a sweet aroma to him. And also the incense only emits that aroma when it's set on fire. 
And our prayers, our intercession, our petitions, our worship, our adoration needs to be on fire in order to attract the God of heaven. Now, once the high priest on the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur went through all the necessary rituals, he alone could go into the Holy of Holies. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And there's so much that can be said about the Ark of the Covenant. I should probably do a program just on that Ark. And it would unveil some really deep mysteries. But basically, we need to see that if we are the temple of God, we are the New Testament containers of the Ark of the Covenant. That means we are in covenant with God and that there are indications in our life or evidences in our life of that covenant. What is a covenant? A covenant is a binding agreement between God and those men and women out of the human race that he chooses to bring into a relationship with himself. That's what a covenant is. It's a binding agreement. And it's a two-way street. God binds himself to us and says, I will never leave you and never forsake you. And we should bind ourselves to him and say, to the best of our ability, we will never leave you nor forsake you, God. By your grace, help us to be faithful and committed and loyal. And so if we really are the temple of God, if we're functioning in that role in a very evident way, we will walk in covenant with the covenant-keeping, covenant-making God. Also, in the Ark of the Covenant were three items, actually four. Number one, there were tablets of stone with the handwriting of God that contained the Ten Commandments. Number two, the golden bowl full of manna. And number three, Aaron's rod that budded. Now, also, the book of the law, the Torah, was in the ark, but we're not really sure by biblical descriptions whether or not it was in the ark or on the outside of the ark. But we do know there were three main items within the ark, and each one of those is an indication of what should be embedded in our spirit. See, our spirit, our regenerated spirit, is the new holy of holies, where covenant connection takes place and where the glory of God dwells, because that's what the ark provided, a seat for the glory of God. It was called the mercy seat. The lid of the ark was the mercy seat, where the glory resided in between the two cherubim. And then in the temple, there were also standing cherubims facing outward on either side of the ark, as well as the cherubim that were on the lid of the ark facing each other. And that all speaks of living in heavenly places, just like those were heavenly beings that constantly worship God in the innermost sanctum, the innermost sanctuary of heaven itself. So those who become temples of God are seated together with Christ in heavenly places. We have a heaven on earth connection with God. We can experience heaven while we pass through the earth. Thank God for that. Now let's go into the articles that were in the ark and just touch on them. There, there's such rich symbolism here. What about the tablets of stone that contain the Ten Commandments being in the ark that was in the Holy of Holies? In like manner, God has written his law in your heart. Read Jeremiah 31, 
verses 31 through 34. The promise of the nature of the new covenant was that God would inscribe his law within us so that it would become a part of who we are, so that it would be our very nature. And then another object in the Ark of the Covenant was the golden bowl full of manna. That was the only manna that was hidden. All the other manna was laying on the ground around the camp of Israel. Everyone could see it, but the hidden manna was in a golden bowl in the ark in the tabernacle of Moses and later on in the temple of Solomon. To me, that means deeper revelation because the bread that comes down from heaven represents the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So anyone who is filling the role of a temple of God, should have this hidden manna, this deeper revelation residing within your spirit because of divine revelation that comes to you. Then Aaron's rod that budded, that was a dead stick that was used as a a rod that represented the authority of a tribal leader. But it came alive as a sign that Aaron alone had the right to the high priestly responsibilities of communing with God in the holy place and offering up the blood of a goat on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. So what does that mean? If you and I are the new holy of holies in which the Ark of the Covenant dwells, and in that Ark is a stick that came alive with resurrection life and began to blossom, it bore almonds and blooms and leaves that uh, that were representative of the almond tree from which that rod was taken. So also there's resurrection life in us because we were dead, but then the Spirit of God came into us and resurrected us back to life. And so if you're the temple of God, there's resurrection life inside of you. And no matter how many times you get hit with the death-dealing blows of temptations and tribulations and torment of mind and emotions, you will rise out of it. No wonder the prophet said, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise, and when I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. And the glory of God rested on the mercy seat. So the new mercy seat is within you. You are the place of the enthronement of God. God enthrones himself in you and extends mercy through you to a fallen world around you. Your heart is sprinkled with blood now, not the blood of a goat, not one day a year like it happened in the Old Testament, but that blood is living blood that flows constantly through your spirit that is continually renewing you in the presence of God. What a marvelous thing, what a miraculous thing that you and I now fill this role of being temples of God. Now, one last thing I want to mention. As you approach the temple, on either side of the temple were two 35-foot-high pillars that bore names. One was called Jacob and the other was called Boaz. Now, Jacob means God will establish and Boaz means in him is strength. And you can find that in 1 Kings 7.21. What does that mean if it relates to you and I being the temple of God in the new covenant? 
I believe it means that on either side of our lives, there should be erected memorial pillars of a certain mindset that God will establish us and in him is strength. If he has chosen us as his temple, we're not establishing ourselves in this role. God chooses us and God will stabilize our lives even though we live in an unstable world. So this pillar-like attitude should be erected within us. God will establish me for time and eternity. And then the other pillar was called Boaz, which means in him is strength. And if we are the temple of God, our constant admission should be that it's not by our strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That should be the second pillar-like attitude that dominates my mindset every day. Well, that's a quick overview of the depth of this revelation. I would challenge you to dig into it deeper, see the beauty of how God hides himself in these metaphorical symbols from the Old Testament. You are the temple of God, little children, and the Spirit of God dwells in you. You are living stones that make up a corporate temple worldwide, and you are an individual temple that has an individual relationship with the God who dwells inside of you. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.